Hey friends, I want to take a moment to welcome you into this time of worship together. We're about ready to spend about an hour uh, together and, and we're going to do it around worshiping the Lord through prayer, through singing, through the study of the word, through giving and, and even through fellowship. In fact, it's so special to me to know that our hearts are connected through Christ, even though we're watching this from so many different locations. I'm so grateful for your presence and to be able to worship with you today. And we're continuing our Fit for Life series. We've already spent buckets of conversation around body, mind, and spirit. And today we are turning our attention to the importance of community. Our ability to remain relationally connected to other believers in healthy ways, it is so important. In fact, it's something that Jesus actually prayed about in John 17. The, the Gospel of John captures this lengthy prayer from Jesus, and right towards the end of his prayer, he actually prays for future believers. So listen to this. Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Friends, it's extraordinary to think that Jesus prayed for you and me so many years ago. And, and think about it, of all the things that he could have prayed for, what he settled on was a prayer for unity. Now, after the last 18 months that we've had, Jesus's prayer could not be more relevant to us. So I'm excited to see how this conversation goes over the course of the next three weeks as we take a look at the importance of spiritual community. Friends, as we gear up to worship together, I encourage you, bring your whole self to the worship moment today, body, mind, and spirit, and just allow God to lead and minister to you today. Let's worship together. Praise God, praise God from whom 
Some of you may have heard the phrase, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. But did you know that comes directly from the Bible? It's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. A less common translation of that verse puts it this way, at last we have freedom, for Christ has set us free. We must always cherish this truth and firmly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. You see, it was through Jesus Christ's sacrifice that we were given the great gift of freedom. Through Christ, we have the opportunity and power to step into freedom. But just like any superhero movie will tell you, with great power comes great responsibility. As Christians, we aren't called to only claim freedom for ourselves, but for others as well. Would you join me in praying for freedom? God, we praise you and thank you for loving us so fiercely. May we never take for granted our gifts or abuse the freedom you won for us at such great cost. Holy Spirit, help us to hear your voice above all the noise in our lives. Give us the strength of heart, mind, and will to live in the freedom you gave us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you will enable us to be powerful agents for your kingdom as we set out to bring freedom to our community through prayer, service, advocacy, and through relationships with others as we share our own stories of freedom. God, help us to love others as fearlessly and unconditionally as you love us. We pray this in your holy and precious name. I hate snakes. I can't even describe to you the level of aversion I have for them. It comes from growing up in the desert southwest where I observed that a snake really wants only two things, to kill us and to make us dead, or at least that's how I was brought up to understand them. Now, rationally, I know that's not true, but it's pretty tough when you're afraid of something to convince your rational mind that things aren't as bad as they seem. Now, this was uh, significant for me growing up where there are lots of creepy crawlies, things like snakes. And on that little dirt farm of a ranch I grew up on with my grandparents, we would encounter snakes from time to time in different ways. But there's one moment, one time that was just so out there, I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't experienced it myself. You see, on this particular day about 12 or 13 years old, my grandmother had sent me out to do some basic chores around the property. And as I was walking around doing the jobs I had been given to do, I thought I heard some water running in around that bush kind of over there. I, it was my job to get the irrigation on and off, and I knew we hadn't started anything in that particular part. So I walked over to this kind of old, gnarly bush, one that was leafy with evergreen kinds of leaves and, and covered itself down to the ground. It was the perfect spot for a creature of evil vileness to live. And so I walked over there to where I heard this running water type sound and moved the branches just so, and then I saw it. There, moving by the base of the bush, was it a snake? Uh, 
it, it wasn't. It wasn't one snake or two or three or four. I had stumbled across a literal viper's nest. It was a rattlesnake nest. And there were all of these juvenile rattlesnakes writhing and moving and oh, it was awful. So I did the only thing I knew to do, what every self-respecting young teenage boy does when confronted with something so atrocious. I ran away like a scared little boy and got my grandma. <laughs> and I told her that there was this awful thing happening on our property. Now, part of what happened there is that it was super scary for me because I already didn't like snakes. But also, it felt like every time we started to make some progress on that little plot of land, every time we started to move a little bit more toward thriving, toward finally making it, some disaster would strike. Maybe it was flood or fire or locusts or a nest of snakes. And it just felt like too much. Felt like maybe we were never going to get to that place where we finally had thriving and fullness of life there. Now, I think all of us have experiences kind of like that. Experiences where it seems like we get so close to experiencing the fullness of life we know we're made for, to living into the purpose we sense we have been designed with, only to have it slip away when disaster strikes, when there are those things that seem to step in the way that get between us and thriving. We've had that happen in each of our lives, in seasons of different kinds. And as we've been talking through this fit for life conversation, where we've been sharing that God actually created us to thrive in body, mind, and spirit. You may have had some moments where you feel like, man, I've almost gotten there. And then something has crept in the way. Something has kept me from receiving or experiencing it. And I wonder if it's even possible. And as we've had these conversations, there's something that is kind of surprising, something you may not have expected. It's that we can't thrive in body, mind, and spirit fully, truly, outside of community. You see, we can be fit in body, renewed in mind, alive in spirit, and still miss the fullness of life that we're made for if we're trying to go it alone, if we're trying to walk in, in solo journey all by ourselves. Because you see, we were, we were made for community. We were made to do this together. So over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at how we can experience the thriving God has for us that he made us for in body, mind, spirit, and community as part of one body together. In order to do that, we're going to look at some pretty basic truths, some, some key handholds for us about who God says we are and what the scriptures say community is and what it looks like for us to experience the thriving he has for us. And as we do that, I think we'll begin to close the gap, to move beyond those obstacles, as scary as some of them may be, to experiencing the fullness of life and thriving that God has had for us all along. Now, I'm going to get back to that story of the snakes in the bush, but I want us to really dig into some these key scriptural truths for us. The first one is one I actually invite you to say out loud with me. As it pops up on the screen here, I invite you to say it with me, to declare it as the truth that it is. Are you ready? It's not all about me. I know that doesn't seem like it's a deep and profound spiritual truth, but it is deeply theological. So I invite you in all seriousness, have the courage, whether you're sitting by yourself or with someone and you can turn to them and say it. Say it with me. It's not all about me. Now, chances are, even as you were saying that, you had kind of an interesting mix of emotions. One, it felt unsettling, maybe a little frustrating, and even a little freeing. Because you see, what happens when we articulate this truth that we see right on the beginning pages of Scripture? We start to open ourselves up to the opportunity that that others can journey with us and God might be able to lead and direct our story even better than we can. Here we see the truth of this laid out right on the very first line of the very first page of the very first book of our story. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, we read these words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning 
God created the heavens and the earth. It's not about me. It's about what God is doing at the very onset of the story. We see that it's God's story. And as we dig even further into the pages and opportunities that we see here, we find that it's God's story and Jesus is the hero of it. That it's not all about me. But the good news is, the exciting news is, that we get to play a significant and substantial role in the story God is writing where Jesus is the hero. That we actually have a part to play. But we have to move beyond the understanding or the sense that we're the main character in the story. It's God's story. And Jesus is the hero. When you and I can articulate and mean it, that it's not all about me. Yes, it's unsettling because part of us wonders, well, then who will look out for my best interests? Who will make sure that I actually move toward that space of thriving? But some of it is freeing because we're aware deep in the core of who we are, what the scriptures say about life, that this life in this world is like a vapor. It's like a wave tossed in the ocean. It's like grass that is vibrant and verdant one moment and tossed in the fire for fuel the next. It's quick. And the relief comes in knowing that even in these brief moments we call life, we can play a deeply profound and significant role in the story God is telling where Jesus is the hero. We can live lives that really matter. But I think it begins with us acknowledging it's not, it's not all about us, though God cares for us and invites us into more. So that's kind of that first theological truth for us. It's not all about me. But there's more for us. In fact, the, the next truth I really want us to dig into is this. It's that we can't do this alone. We can't do this alone. Later on in the story that we just started, the one where it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just after that, God begins to call creation to life just with his words. He brings chaos into order. He breathes light and life and goodness and purpose. And along the way, moment after moment after moment, in fact, six times, God sees that what is created is good. And on the seventh time, he says it is very good. Here we see the very goodness of creation. And so it's surprising when then just a few lines later in Genesis chapter 2, we come across these words. Again, everything is good, 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 very good. The Lord God said in Genesis chapter 2, 18, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. What's happening here? In the midst of all this goodness that God observes, he sees that these things are good. He actually states that something is not good. And it's that the human he has created, Adam, is alone. Well, why would that be not good? It's because Adam has been given a divine mandate, a purpose that God has spoken into him to rule this new creation, to rule over it and bring it to thriving, to, to kind of cover the earth and subdue it, to multiply and be fruitful. And what we see is that Adam by himself can't do any of that. On his own, by himself, don't miss this, Adam cannot fulfill his God-given purpose. It is unobtainable, unattainable, undoable can't be done. And so God says, it is not good for man to be alone. I will create a helper for him. And so then if you're familiar with the story, you know that a few verses later, God puts Adam into a deep sleep, removes his rib and creates woman Eve. And God says, this is the suitable helper for you. Now it's helpful to know for us that the term helper there is not an, a fancy Hebrew word for assistant, okay? It's not just like somebody who comes alongside and does the stuff you don't want to do. It is actually a word that means co-protector, co-warrior, somebody who is going to co-fulfill purpose with you, 
This is substantial. What we see there in just that part of the story, in the very first few pages of the book, that we cannot do this life alone. That we can't fulfill our God-given purpose on our own. We were made for community. We were made for one another. And from that moment, when God took Adam's rib and made this co-helper, co-warrior, we have always needed others. That we, we kind of feel that there's a missing piece to us when we're not in community. And there's a reason for that. And so here then we see Adam and Eve doing the work that they're supposed to do. The story is quick, but we do get a sense that they're fulfilling the divine purpose God has given them. It's a reminder, we cannot do this life alone. Now, it's not just here in the book of Genesis that we see that, but actually throughout the scriptures, there's reminder after reminder after reminder that we fulfill our purpose as we live it out in pursuit of God in community. That's where it's found. That's where it's fulfilled. In fact, in the New Testament, there are often times where we come across the word you. And we have kind of taken that to mean me individually. But very often, when we read the word you, Y-O-U, it means you together. Like when Jesus says, I am with you always to the very ends of the age. When we read, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We could read those each and be very true to the text in, I am with you together to the very end of the age. You together are God's temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, we read, We together are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us together to do. Much of the New Testament is written to us together, not individually chasing off, off our kind of slanted approach to whatever it is we think we're meant to be doing, but us in healthy, vibrant community together, experiencing the fullness of God's purpose as we chase after him. This is what we're meant for. It's what we're invited into. So now back to the story of the two people, Adam and Eve, in that garden, fulfilling their purpose doing what they were made for. Unbroken connection with each other and fellowship with God. It is good. It is very good. And then things go off the rails. You know when they go off the rails? It's a snake. Told you they weren't good. It's a talking snake. And things start to go off the rails because that serpent tempts Adam and Eve to move toward a place of disobedience and distrust and selfish ambition, to actually start making things more about them than about the story and the goodness of what God is doing. There's so much more we could unpack here in the story. There's so much happening and we don't have time to really dig out together. But it's a good reminder for us that the venomous snakes of selfishness and selfish ambition, of vain conceit, of chasing after our own design at the expense of God's, of personal desire over corporate good, that these things really do cause the death of community. They can move us away from God's very goodness and into a space we never wanted to go. But it's not without hope. You see, after this happens, just a few verses later, we read these words, a promise that's given. It's God speaking to the serpent, the one who tempted the man and the woman and who allowed them to move astray. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's a promise about Jesus, the coming Messiah, the anointed king who is actually going to set up a whole new creation now that things have gone off the rails. An invitation to, to wait and see that when Jesus comes, we can again choose the better way to chase after the things of God and his purpose together, experiencing the fullness of life we were always made for. 
This is, again, part of what is being communicated to us. It's this promise of Jesus that gives us hope in community. Because Jesus is the one who renews us, who restores us, and who even renews and restores the community around us. So these are the two foundational truths so far that we've covered. One, it's not all about me. And, and two, we cannot do this life alone. We are made for each other. And Jesus is actually the one who has been promised to bring all of that into fulfillment. In the story that we've seen so far, in the scriptures that we've read, even in the conversation that we've just had, all throughout it, there is a call and a reminder that not only is it not all about me, not only can we not live this life alone, but that we are made to live in, with, and for community. That's it in a nutshell. We are made to live in, with, and for community. We see that at the beginning of our story. We see it throughout scripture as we are invited into a new way of living, a new way of experiencing all that we were made for, to thrive in body, mind, and spirit together. But you see, that invitation, that invitation isn't, again, just for us or for the little circles that we would make and call those community. You see, the community that God invites us into is one that is expanding and advancing with his kingdom. The body of Christ, those who call on the name of Jesus, who are made new by him, who have received his gift of life and invitation into community, the church is all of that. All of those who call on the name of Jesus. That is the community. But even then, it's expanding beyond that as we go to offer the hope and life and goodness that God has. I'm reminded of a passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where the writer is reminding people of his own credentials to be somebody inviting them into the community of faith. But even as they step into that and say yes to community, then they are called to be those who invite others into community. Here we read these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What an incredible invitation for us. One, that God would invite us through Christ to be reconciled to him, but then that he would activate us who say yes to go offer the same invitation, to go and offer the hope and life and light of community, of true community pursuing God's best in purpose as we chase after his glory. It's crazy awesome that God would invite us into that. But there can still be those things that, that actually impact not just us, but those around us from really experiencing this kind of invitation, the new kingdom, new life, goodness that God has for us. I want to take us back for a moment to that space and place in the desert southwest where I bumped into that rattlesnake nest. I'm fine, as you can see. What was amazing to me about how that got handled was the way that my elderly grandmother sprang into action. She explained to me that we had little kids around. We had vulnerable people and vulnerable animals who would be utterly destroyed if they were to encounter this thing that I had found. And so she ran as fast as I have ever seen her move to our tool shed. And there she got two implements. One, believe it or not, was a gas-powered push mower, and the other was a well-used garden hoe. And I watched as she called me over to this place and handed me a spade, a, a, a shovel, in case some of the snakes got away. I was going to have to help deal with that. But what she did is she started that gas mower and brought it over nearby the nest of snakes. And the vibrations of the mower caused the earth to tremble a little bit right there. And the snakes didn't like that their abode was being um, disturbed. So they started to come out in waves, it seemed, from under this bush. 
but my elderly grandma Carol was ready for them. She had one hand on this push mower and another on the garden hoe, and she began to absolutely destroy this rattlesnake nest. I have never seen an Amazon warrior before, but I'm pretty sure they look a lot like my grandma fighting a nest of snakes. It was incredible. I, I still can't believe that I was watching this happen. But again, what I want you to hear and understand in this is that her heart wasn't for self-preservation. It wasn't about what would make her more comfortable. My gram was just as afraid of snakes as I was. But it was that other people were at risk, that there were those around us, the vulnerable, who would not experience thriving at all if they encountered this brood of vipers. So she did what she knew to do. I think in a way, that's a bit of the picture we get there in 2 Corinthians of this community of followers of Jesus, who whenever we see the, the venomous viper's nests of injustice, of, of brokenness, of hatred, of those things that are keeping those around us from thriving, we go after them full tilt. Yes, in the love of Jesus, but also in his power and authority. You see, we are made in community by Holy Spirit, Father and Son. We are made with community. We are meant to live in this thing called fellowship and community together, but we are also made for community. And that doesn't mean just for our own benefit, but to live in a way that the larger community around us is experiencing the goodness, the freedom, the light, the life, the hope, the flourishing that God has for all of us. Because when we live fully alive in body, mind, spirit, and community, the community around us cannot help but become even more alive, connect more into the spaces of thriving in body, mind, spirit, life for them, for us, because we're really all in this together. We're all invited to pursue the goodness of God for the sake of his glory and for the sake of others together. So it brings me to this question. I wonder for you, even as I ask what it is for me, what is your next step? What is your next step with, in, and for community? What is it? Where is it that you're being called to face the fears in your life and be with, in, and for community in a new way? Even as we ponder that, I'm going to read one more passage of scripture to us because I believe it's the call to each of us who call on the name of Jesus, what it looks like for us to thrive together in community. In Ephesians chapter three, or chapter four, verse one and following, we read this. As a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all, in all, and through all. Friends, I know you have a next step with, in, and for community. My prayer is that you would have courage to take it even now. Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, thank you for the invitation to live. Thank you for being the God who removes the obstacles to thriving and then invites us to be people who do the same. I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would give us courage Courage to take the next step of community, of what it means to live with and in and for community as never before. God, I believe that in that space, we will find thriving with you. 
Would you allow that to be so, we pray in Jesus' name.
Friends, it's been so great gathering together today in this way. Thank you for the gift of your time as we have sought after the Lord's desires and purposes for our lives. As we get ready to go our separate ways this week, I, I wanted to just highlight a really great volunteer opportunity. On Saturday, July 24th, we're going to be hosting our next mobile food pantry at the Esperanza Center. This is a great event where we're able to distribute a large amount of food out to our community. And we would love for you and your family to help out with this event. The event starts at 9.30 in the morning, typically runs through until early afternoon. And, and so if you're interested, really the easiest way to get registered is to use the Church Center app. Just kind of look at the bottom, click on the event button, and then scroll down until you find the mobile food pantry event. Click there and get registered. We would love to have your help. 
In light of the conversation that, that we've started today about community, actually mobile food pantry is an excellent way, not only to love on our community, but also to meet other great heritage people as you serve alongside of them. So we would just love to have you, uh, have you there helping to, to see you there as we serve our communities in hopeful partnership. I would also mention here that, that it's because of your radical generosity that events like this can continue to happen. Because of your willingness to give, we're able to lean into a variety of opportunities both around these cities and around the world. And so just remember, you, you can give online, you can find one of our giving stations in one of our lo campus lobbies. And I think it's just always helpful to remember that our giving helps to facilitate spaces and places where God is just doing some really incredible work. And finally, I want to remind you that there are several ways that you can connect with us, and we encourage you to do that, that if you have a prayer request or you have a question, please do not hesitate to reach out. You can fill out a digital connection card, you can call the church office, or you can even call or pray with a pastor phone line and interact with a pastor around a specific prayer request. We would love to hear from you. Now, thanks again for being here today. I pray that as we move from this space and time, that we would go in the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. Have a great, great day.